This is Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thanks for tuning in to this episode with Jessica Genetics. Jessica is a student. She has a passion for biology and genetics. And I'm glad she was able to connect and co-create this episode and share that passion, that knowledge, that experience of learning about how our body works at a fundamental foundational level. We discuss mitochondrial optimization, ocular degeneration, grounding, earthing, wearing blue blockers, red light therapy, how to eat in a way that allows your body's macro systems to deal with the microtoxicity we are all faced with today. If you are enjoying Peak Earth and you'd like to contribute, here are some ideas. You could share an episode with your friends or your family or on social media. You could leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. You could paint Peak Earth all over your body, your chest, your back, your legs and arms, and then go streaking at a professional sports event, like a big, big sports game. That'd be awesome. All that, obviously optional. I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jessica Genetics. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? Glad to hear it. Doing very well myself. We were just speaking before this about how it's raining in both the locations where we are and how it's a little bit uh, out of out of seasonal or out of character to see have this much rain. But it's, it's nice. Nice to hear the pitter batter. Nothing quite like the sound of, of raindrops. It's a very pleasant kind of sound. It is. And I love how green everything gets right after a rain. And I love the smell after a rain. It's so nice. It is. It is. There's like more oxygen in the air and the, the plants are so happy. They're just, you get catch some of those good vibes. I know. It's amazing. It rains so rarely over here in the desert that it's always so nice when it finally does. I'm not sure if where I am in Los Angeles is, is technically a, a desert. I think it's maybe a, like a chaparral, some sort of like coastal desert, but there's a lot of sort of succulents that only get certain growth in the rain where they'll shoot out these like blooms or these, I don't know, these, <laughs> these like new branches there. It's like a succulent all year. And then all of a sudden when it rains, you've got these amazing flowers or these just like large sort of plant growths. It's, it's pretty incredible. You don't see it most of the year, but when it happens, it's, it's amazing. I know. It's so nice. Everything seems to spring to life after a nice rain, especially when it's consistent, like in the monsoon season. Yeah. So we, we connected because one of my previous podcast guests, Peyton Elroy, mentioned that you wrote an amazing thread about the quality of, of egg health. So naturally, I'm very much attuned to things like this. I love the concept of synchronicities, like the multiverse sort of unfolding in ways precede that. And then we connected through there because she mentioned it. And it was a really fascinating thread that you wrote on, on Twitter. And you have a deep understanding of these things. How did you, how did you come to this sort of path? In, in life with understanding sort of nutrition and, and biology and the science that you're working with? Um, it was kind of a lot of things all at once. Um, I was raised to be very cautious of what I was putting in my body and how it affects me and how I feel. Um, I was born as a C-section. So what comes with that is like a lot of food allergies and sensitivities and asthma and things like that. So um, my mother was trying to get answers for that with pediatricians, but, you know, Western medicine doesn't really have a lot of answers for that kind of stuff. So she went into um, just natural health 
and she found like Dr. Mercola and she started implementing like natural health remedies and she was able to completely heal all of my food sensitivities and everything. Um, So then from that point, I was just raised to continue this way and eat so that I nurture my body and so those symptoms don't come back and worry about gut health. But yeah, then in high school, I decided that I was going to be rebellious and I started eating fast food and those really bad sugary cereals. I would have those in the morning and I very quickly noticed the effect it was having on me and I would like break out and like my food sensitivities came back. So that like scared me straight and I like uh, went back into this path of nutrition and eating whole foods. So that was pretty cool. Nice. I was a, well, my brother and I, we twins, uh, we're a C-section birth as well. And I was recently watching this crazy documentary. I think it was called The Business of Birth. And it was about just the business of birthing. I I had no idea about it, but it's it's wild how C-sections are sort of uh, almost advertised to to women giving birth to, because it's, um, you know, presented as, as more convenient and safer. And, you know, you can kind of almost like schedule it in a way. And, the, and then the doctors, they like to be involved. You know, like the doctors a lot of times have these hero complexes. They're like, I'm the one who gave birth. Like I cut the woman open, delivered the baby, as opposed to something like a home birth, which is like so natural. And it was amazing to see to see the juxtaposition of the two. Like the home birth, it was, they were, it was like a calm environment, sort of at home. The baby was born and it was in the mother's arms versus the C-section hospital where you've got surgery. There's people, there's lights beeping, there's all these sounds. And the baby is born and it's put on a table, completely sterilized and away from the mother. And it was amazing to see these two options presented. It was mind-blowing. Yeah, it's really crazy. It seems like just such a stressful environment to be in the hospital with all that artificial light and like you said the sterilization I would definitely prefer a home birth when uh, it's my time for that <laughs> yeah so you're currently on a spring break from from school you mentioned how how old are you currently I am 21 <laughs> wow. congrats on, on reaching 21 and being already up to speed with all this at, at this point and you know having a social media following that is interested in what you're you're sharing and, and what are you studying in in school currently? Um, so I guess my degree is just general biology and my minor is chemistry. I definitely wanted to be a biochem major, but I found out a little bit too late in my degree that that's the path I wanted to go on. So they wouldn't let me change it, but it's okay. I'm still getting a good overview of biochem right now. What do you find most interesting about this path of study? I just love the pathways. Like, I'm just like obsessed with them. And I like to see how everything goes and how everything's funneled during certain paths and how the concentration of different molecules can really push pathways down one path or another. And I feel like I was really lucky to have figured this out in high school. I had a really amazing biology teacher. It was just a general biology course. And I could tell he had a passion for biochemistry and genetics and stuff. So there was one day where he was teaching us about glycolysis and the citrate cycle. And he painted such a nice picture of how fats, proteins, and carbs 
gets broken down and how we make energy from it and how everything's connected. And I could tell he had such a passion for it when he was explaining it to us. And I think that's really what it takes to put a passion in someone else. So hearing him talk with such a passion gave me a passion for it. And so right there, I decided like, okay, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life. And I was so excited ever since then. And I've never lost any interest in it or anything. I've always had this like um, bottomless curiosity for it. It's been pretty great. That's beautiful. Yeah, so many so many people are sort of looking for that. And I know I was for a long time myself and still kind of am every day. Like it's almost like there's this broader theme where we can kind of follow like this larger sort of point of, of bliss, something that we're really attracted to, something that we know is our, is our life's calling. But then like kind of every day we got to look for those like little things too. Like what is the little thing today that's going to draw me in and, and give me energy and, and get me going? What, what is it? sort of like on a, on the day to day for you studying to, to continue on this path to mastering this knowledge? Um, it's been pretty crazy. Like this semester, my schedule is all over the place. I'm about to graduate in May. So, or sorry, in March, all of these classes that I'm taking right now are just kind of like patching up everything that I've missed over the course of my whole education. So the classes are like all over the place. So Like I'll be in class like nine to seven, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, I'm just like studying all day. It's crazy. (laughs) It is. It is crazy. It's a lot to, a lot to learn, a lot, lot to cram in. And then you'll be, then you'll be graduated. You'll be completed. You'll have your degree and and moving on to the, to the next thing in a couple months. Yeah. I'll be out of here. Kind of sadly, I've enjoyed school. I've always been like a nerdy kind of type of person where I've like always enjoyed taking notes and I've enjoyed studying for my tests. As weird as it sounds, like when it comes to my biochem or my chemistry classes, I love putting in all the hours to study the info and then going in and crushing the test. It's It sounds so nerdy, but it's been fun. <laughs> it's a good way to be it's a good way to be it'll set you up for whatever whatever you want to do next just that that practice you know of studying and mastering the knowledge and then applying it that's a really powerful powerful practice that you can use kind of throughout life I feel like yeah I definitely agree um have you ever been in college do you have any schooling background yes I was I was an economics major at the, at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, that was over over a decade ago now. Um, can't say it was useful for me or or that I enjoyed it very much, not because it was um, an unengaging practice. Like e- economics was an interesting discipline. It just, for whatever reason, at, at the time in my life, I wasn't engaged, in, and that's really what sparked my curiosity in holistic health. Is because like things just weren't working for me. Like my my brain wasn't really working. My my even though I was you could look at me and say I was fit on the outside. I wasn't, I was very depressed and anxious and um, had, had some difficulty making sense of things. And it wasn't until I was able to get out of the school system and begin following my own passions and just reading and listening to audiobooks and podcasts and exploring all the different ideas that are out there that I was able to follow my curiosity to just learn sort of in an autodidactic way, just like a self-driven path to, to learning and 
trying to figure out what all this is, like make sense of it all. And then, and then just kind of figure out how am I going to enjoy life and, and live it in a way that is meaningful. And, and there's so much that has been written and shared on that. There's so many different opinions and ways to go about this thing we call life. We have an infinite path, you know, sprawling before us and, and we have to kind of just make our way. And it's a wild experience. And I've, I've really enjoyed um, my time outside of the school system. So I think if, if anyone listening to this is going through, you know, a tough time that that is a challenge, I think learning as, as you've described is such a powerful way, like cultivating that passion for learning, following something that lights you up and, and gives you that urge to go back for more. That is such, such an amazing way to kind of engage with, with whatever all this is. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes it takes pursuing a path that you think you want to realize that maybe it's not for you and there's something else out there waiting for you. And like so many people around me, have not been as lucky as I have been to have found what I want to do so early in life. So I always like recommend that everyone expose themselves to as many different points of view and as many different options that um, is, are possible so that you can really get a feel for what's out there. And if you have a passion for anything in specific, because sometimes you don't know until you go and try it, you know. Absolutely true. Yeah, almost almost every time it's it's so crazy the just the the power of direct experience with, with almost everything because amazing to think about. I know growing up there were there were all these different um, take something like psychedelic drugs for an example. They're, they're like sort of this popular part of reality that has really bubbled up over the past decade or so as like a healing therapy or as a potential way that we can help people kind of get a grip or avoid having to use antidepressants or help them heal from PTSD or find spirituality. It's this very bizarre sort of thing that you only really learn about by, by doing directly. And that's like a very an acute example, but there's also various movement practices that you can engage in. Like you may have an opinion about what yoga is, and then you go and take your first yoga class and you have a whole different experience of what that practice is and what it brings to you because you've embodied it and you felt it you know, firsthand. You've got that direct experience of like, oh, now I, now I know yoga from like a a deeper standpoint and then you could maybe go practice it every day for a month or something like that if you enjoyed it and you get an even deeper understanding and that, that's so true for pretty much every you know aspect of of life it, i just spoke with um a man named jonas Skilker. He, he's out here in school at, at ucla and he wanted to become a, a firefighter so he went to become a wildland firefighter up, up in washington and the first day he realizes you know what? I might actually, you know, die up here. Like they were, they're learning about how to protect themselves from the, if the wildfire gets too intense. <laughs> just had this like, oh no, moment where it's like, guess I'm a wildland firefighter now, and you're just going out there to to face the flames. And yeah, it's it's an amazing amazing part of of this experience. And I guess in that same vein, do you have any sort of idea of what you'd like to do once you graduate? Is it straight to the working world, or, or do you move on to your master's? Um. Well, I've kind of decided to skip master's because um, throughout my undergraduate, I've been able to work on a bunch of different research projects. I've worked on five, I think. So I've really figured out that I love research. So um, grad school is definitely in my future at some point. Um, it may be sooner, it may be later. Definitely right after I graduate, I'll be going into industry and I'll be working on producing diagnostic tests um, like 
for example, I'm going into a blood panel initially, and this company that I'm going to work with tests the blood of chronically ill patients. And we've found out that there's a lot of microbes in people's blood, and we really don't know what they're doing, and they don't even know that they're in there. So we're going to make this uh, blood panel so that we can test chronically diseased patients and let them know what kind of microbes are in their blood. Um which is a really cool idea. They're also working on like a UTI test and a gut test, which is all really cool. I think I'll really enjoy learning the other side of things. I'm usually the one taking the tests and now I'll learn how to make them, which is cool. So I think industry is definitely the way to go for me. Um, I like making a product in the end and seeing something that can be sold um, as opposed to like, academia. I think when you go the path of academia, you kind of forget the why in the research. Like, okay, we figured this out, but so what? You know, what can we do with that? How can it help people? What does it mean? Um, So I think pursuing industry will always keep that in mind. And you can always um, think about what can I do with this and how can this help people? That seems smart to me. Yeah actually putting it into action and, and helping people with, with your knowledge instead of sort of just studying and, and getting more of it. That, that makes me think to track back a bit when you were in high school, sort of being rebellious, how did you sort of right the ship and, and return back to a healthy state? Was it something that you put into practice or did you go deep sort of learning on, on your own from, from various, you know, health influencers or books or podcasts or anything like that? Or how, how did you get back on, on track there? Um, I didn't really follow anything specifically just because my mother has always been so knowledgeable about all of this stuff. Like I have always been able to just ask her any question and she knows the answer. So it spared me a lot of time. So that's why when I was able to come onto Twitter, I was able to Uh, share that information because I just grew up with it and it already seemed like knowledge that I have carried with me for years Um, so I kind of just let her tell me what to do to get back on track honestly (laughs) nice nice that is that is a a blessing to have to have someone who's a source of information and and guidance in in that direction and what were some of the your favorite sort of tips or tricks that that you learned from her Oh boy. <laughs> oh, I feel like there's so many. I feel like so much of it has just become common knowledge to me. Kind of like what vegetables are good for what things and what proteins are better than others. And, you know, the whole um, dynamic of eating organically and why she kind of was my foundation on learning all of that. And then from her, Um, I was able to expand into like, what is glyphosate doing that's awful? And how are there antibiotics in our food now? That's a great answer. Maybe tips and tricks was a poor way for me to frame it. It seems more like she was able to instill principles within your mind to give you more of a ground level understanding of how to approach the situation as opposed to like tips and tricks. You've got this set of principles to sort of guide your mind in in the decision-making process. Yeah, because I definitely feel like it was a whole like life living shift like she was able to like shift our whole family to eating organic and like whole foods primarily and then 
she worked on eliminating environmental toxins like she switched out our hand soap and shampoo um, and we got water filters and things like that so it was like this whole life shift when all of that happened and when we were trying to clear up my symptoms amazing how many small sources of almost i guess you could say toxins or microtoxins that we're exposed to if not careful and and they can really accumulate to, to cause some damage whether it's the water, like you mentioned, the food, the air, the electromagnetic frequencies, you know, EMFs are a big one that people are talking more about these days. It's kind of crazy how many sources of potential microtoxins we could be, you know, almost absorbing and accumulate in our body. It's crazy. I know. It's scary. It can be really overwhelming when you think about it. And I think that's something that's hard for a lot of people who are stepping in to health right now and maybe like new to the game it can be very overwhelming to see like all of the nutrition changes that you have to make and supplements to take and then on top of that all of the environmental toxins that just seem unavoidable so it can be really overwhelming for people and I always say that you're probably better off optimizing the way your body works like your mitochondria and your detoxification systems and like your macro systems, like your hormones, before trying to eliminate every little environmental toxin. Because the better your body is functioning, the better you'll be able to handle those toxins. And that's what I did. I optimized, you know, the macro systems that were working for me, like detoxification and hormones and mitochondrial dysfunction. And then now I'm starting to look at what environmental toxins am I exposed to every day like polyester clothing, I've been thinking about um, pretty often because it's just like wearing plastic. It's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a big realization for me this the past year as well that I had never thought about and had never come across really in, until this past year. And, and it's yeah, it's a petroleum-based fabric and there's binders in there. There's all kinds of funky chemicals and, and our skin being our, our largest organ, it's just going to absorb everything that we put around it. So if we're wearing these, you know, funky chemicals and, and petroleum-based yeah. fabrics, it's just going to end up in our skin and in our, in our body and we've got enough of that sort of stuff. So it, yeah, it, I guess kind of controlling what you can control and you mentioned the mitochondria and, and the macro the macro system being being our body, we have all these natural ways to detoxify. That's why we can all live in vibrant, healthy lives despite living in a you know urban environments that are somewhat toxic or kind of anywhere. You know, we can deal with these things. What are some practices that you would in, encourage someone to engage with if they were wanting to upregulate their mitochondria and, and their their macro systems? Um, that's a great question, and I think so many people have mitochondrial dysfunction or some kind of backup. Um, just because we all do, you know, it's hard to avoid it. Um, things that I like to do are grounding and viewing the sunlight because circadian rhythm uh, cycles are very in tune with the mitochondria and they kind of work hand in hand. So those are my first steps. And then I always like to wear blue light blockers at night. Um, and something that I found was really a game changer for me and how I felt like with my energy was supplementing vitamin B1, which is thiamine. Um, I started taking it and then I started realizing that I probably had a deficiency. So I started mega dosing it and I started to feel so much better. Um, so I think 
um, B vitamins are super important uh, to supplement or focus on getting through the diet. I think even people that don't really like supplements can agree that B vitamins are super crucial and they're one of those things that are worth taking and are worth supplementing and you can usually feel a difference from them. So B vitamins are super crucial for the whole energy production process, not even just in the mitochondria, but um, just glycolysis and the citrate cycle as well. Um, I think red light is also pretty good for upregulating uh, oxidative phosphorylation, which is that energy production process. I know that red light is able to activate the enzymes within the mitochondria and help you uh, get that energy production process going again, which is a super great thing. I've seen people get some pretty great results from that. I've never tried it, but I definitely want to in the future. Wow. That is a great, great list of, of ways to upregulate the mitochondrial and the, the macro body systems. I also have not yet tried red light, but I'm, I'm going to sometime soon. I've, I've uh, got to get, that's on my list of, of things to try. And there was one question coming to mind now just to, I guess, look at the broader picture, thinking about mitochondria. I'm actually not completely positive what that is. I, I have an idea about what mitochondria is, but how, how would you define mitochondria? I mean, you always hear that mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. You know, they're like the powerhouse and like the battleship and they produce all of your energy. And so you can funnel a lot of different pathways into the mitochondria. Each cell has like one to 200 mitochondria, depending on what cell it is. Um, and there are these little organelles that have this double membrane and that double membrane allows for a proton gradient to be produced. And that proton gradient buildup is what allows electrons to flow into the form of ATP. And then you produce a lot of it out of that. And so you can funnel um, like sugar, like glucose or like fats through your mitochondria through different pathways. And they all end up in the mitochondria. And then depending on what the input is, you'll get different amounts of ATP out. So there are one, there are something like 200 mitochondria in every single cell. How many, do you know how many cells we have roughly? What is it like 20 billion? It's something crazy. It might be more than that. <laughs> we, have we have a lot of mitochondria then. So we're just chock full of mitochondria. And uh, I guess in a way that these are really the baseline, sort of the foundation at, at a cellular level of our health being, you know, energetic beings, these things are, are powering us. These are little, our little solar cells, I guess, in a way, because as you mentioned, the circadian rhythm is, is a really important part. We're going out and, and we're charging our mitochondria. We're getting them started in the cycle of, of the circadian rhythm, meaning like the around, around the day rhythm. So like we've got this natural sort of ebb and flow of our body that coordinates with the rise and setting of the sun and the spinning of the earth. And we're all a part of that cycle in the way that our, our energy sort of rises and falls. So for anyone who has trouble sleeping at night, really the best way to sort of write that system is to get sunlight in the morning. As, as interesting as that might sound, it's like the best way to help you sleep at night is sun in the morning. How does that make sense? It's like, well, no, that, that's how we set our you know circadian rhythm to be getting tired at, at night is, is by getting sunlight in the morning and getting that energy system started. So that's that's an excellent outline for, for anyone looking to you know start improving and optimizing their health through circadian rhythm, grounding, and, and awareness of, of 
health at a mitochondria level and, and honoring that system with, with their practices. Yeah, the mitochondria are definitely super important. You know, they were pretty fundamental in just the evolution of not even just our species, but, you know, eukaryotes in general. You know, there's prokaryotes and eukaryotes. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> um, basically, it was thought that mitochondria started out as this bacteria that invaded a cell. And then that invasion allowed for that new cell to have all this new energy and it allowed it to diversify, and then we came from that. So you can really think of the mitochondria as like our ancient little things that got us here. You know, they're the whole reason we were able to turn into humans and all of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing thinking about it like that from from a deep time perspective where at one point we weren't this multi-limbed structure of... 20 billion cells. We were just like kind of like one cell. And over time, we just like formed these, formed these structures. And, and we've got to kind of figure all this out like a, like a funny puzzle throughout, throughout life. When you, when you think about energy, I know you mentioned ATP at one point. Um, and a lot of people are struggling with fatigue or, or low energy. I don't know if this is part of your study or something that you think much about. Just a curiosity that came to mind is how do you how do you perceive energy as as a as a thing that that someone can have or not or, or something that's kind of like flowing through the through the world? Um, do you mean like consciousness or like just energy to have throughout the day? I guess I guess either one. I I I'm perceiving <laughs> them both to be somewhat linked in a way, but um, maybe maybe one intrigues you more than the other. I, I know that. In some disciplines, they may be seen as sort of one one in the same in a way, but maybe you see them as like different things. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you make of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, when I think of energy, I definitely, it comes down to ATP, I think for me, like I have struggled with chronic fatigue and it just seems like an emptiness almost. Like you just feel so devoid of any like, energy or life force you know so it's like when you get so tired at the end of the day like I would I would get super tired as soon as the sun set I would just feel like done for the day like my brain shuts off I'm done and it would take like sleeping to get that energy again so I definitely think it comes down to like ATP for sure but like also the flux of just your pathways in general and your metabolism and your ability to funnel um, information and molecules where they need to go, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I've been fascinated by this as well for, for a long time, just because it almost seems like my quality of life is very much linked with my quality of energy. Like the more energy I have, the, the better I can create higher quality of life. So it's it's almost like this fundamental way that, that I'm able to create a cooler world for myself and for those around me. And what, what I've been fascinated by really over the past sort of recent season in my life, the past five, 10 years, whatever it is, is how much energy comes from things that aren't food and sleep, where I'm able to engage in a movement practice that doesn't, it make me exhausted, like it gives me energy. I'm able to go outside with my shoes off, bare feet on the soil, and it gives me energy. I'm accessing you know, earth energy. If I get sunshine, that sun energy, it's like, it's energizing. And these aren't 
you know, food or, or sleep sources. There are these ways that I'm able to get energy that are outside of, of food and sleep, or even having a conversation like this. Like it's giving me energy to connect with a like-minded person, someone that I'm able to vibe with and talk about these things that I'm curious on. And and there are all these different ways to get energy that are outside of this, you know, uh, simple system of, of food and, and sleep. And that just, it boggles my mind because then once you start playing with sort of integrating these together where you've got earthing and movement and sunshine and you're with people that you enjoy being around and you've just got this whole new flavor of energy that just brings an electricity to life that I have been excited about for, for a while now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, when I was first starting to realize that I needed to do something about my chronic fatigue, the first thing I did was I started weightlifting because I hadn't ever exercise consistently. And then I took a hormone test around that time. And I found out that I have high testosterone for a woman. So I was like, okay, I'm going to build muscle with this then. So I started uh, pursuing like bodybuilding and weightlifting. And I realized that I had so much more energy after I worked out. And I've started to realize that, you know, if I don't work out, then I don't have that same quality of energy, you know, and it's, I think it's an important thing for everyone to integrate because, you know, building muscle and working out does build mitochondria. So you do end up with more energy afterward, the more you pursue it. And it can be um, really helpful just to balance out the rest of your pathways and make sure you're um, never going too far to the right or too far to the left. And I think sunlight is also super important for, you know, getting those anabolic reactions up and going because we always think about, ATP as that molecule that gives us energy, but there's also um, like a bunch of signaling molecules that also send this message to the rest of our cell that we have energy and we're in an abundance of energy and we can spend money, money, I say it's ATP on uh, building things like glycogen and things like that. So those molecules are like citrate or NADH Um, And you don't hear those talked about as much, but they're also molecules that tell the cell like, hey, we have a lot of energy, so feel free to go build stuff. You know, we could build like nucleotides and stuff with that. So it's, it all is connected, I think. And, you know, sunlight gives us that message and working out gives us that message and eating good quality food does the same thing. What a cool way to describe that. Very well said. I I enjoyed that. That was a really nice riff. I, I have this whole image of my mind of how the body's working on like a microscopic level of how all these <laughs> systems are sort of working together. And another interesting thing that I think is worth sort of tracking back on that you mentioned for anyone listening is the importance of wearing blue light blockers. So you mentioned uh, wearing those at, at night. I know that's involved with circadian health. And um, is there a specific sort of reason that you have in mind as to why that is important for you or how you would sort of present that to someone who wasn't currently doing that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I always, in the beginning, I always thought, oh, I should wear my blue light blocker so that I can sleep better at night. And, you know, it, I think it is important for that. Um, Like making sure your melatonin and your cortisol is looking right when you sleep so that you get deeper sleep and more regenerative sleep so that you're not going into sleep in like a hyper state with your cortisol high or anything like that. Um, But uh, recently I've been looking into more of the blue light being connected to eye degeneration and vision degeneration. And I already have bad eyes. 
So I've been kind of worried about that lately. And I wear um, these yellow glasses when I'm staring at a computer for too long. And then I wear red light or red lens glasses when I'm going to bed. And then I also have red filters on my computer and my phone. And it's funny because people in my classes come up to me and they're like, why are your screens red all the time? <laughs> I'm like, you wouldn't get it. <laughs> um, but I do think it's super important just with like, because your eye, you can think of it as a part of the brain and the eye, you know, it picks up color and it's also picking up light frequencies and um, different frequencies will have different effects on it. So, you know, our eye, our eyes are built to just take in all the light. So I think it's really important to be aware of what I'm shining into it. You know, if it's dark outside, I don't want to stare into a bunch of blue light. You know, it feels wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that feeling, that feeling is so abrupt and, and salient. Like it's super noticeable once you begin the practice of sort of dimming the bright lights and, and tinting it with thread. Sometimes I'll make the mistake of, you know, not wearing a blue light blocker, like having to look at a screen that shines bright and you just feel, you feel like at a certain level of alertness pick up. And that's, those are your hormones picking up because it, our entire body mind sort of perceiving that it's the daytime, like time to start the day, like let's get ramped up, time time to get things going, which can then disrupt sleep because those hormones sort of, once it gets going, it's not like an on off switch. It sort of takes time to settle back down. And then we've thrown off the entire REM cycle and, and the deep sleep and the regenerative experience of, of, of having the hormone system sort of structured in a way that would be more natural and evolutionary back before we had these fake light screens in our faces 24 7 and it's really only been like the past 20 30 years i guess where, where these things are have been so present and where the the red light blocking glasses or even the red light dimming sort of software that we can install it really is that's such a powerful i sometimes i think about the collective vitality that we could all be enjoying more of if we just started doing simple practices like that's such that's a really simple practice. I mean, there was a time when nobody really wore sunglasses. All of a sudden, they got super popular. Maybe that wasn't helpful. Maybe we, maybe it was better to have the sunlight. And now it's like, okay, the red light glasses, we got to make that cool because it, it really is super powerful for all the reasons you mentioned, the the uh, ocular degeneration, the the deeper sleep. And it, they may like, maybe they look a little bit dorky, but you know what? It, it's it, it's not, it's, nobody, nobody's going to be judging you at that hour anyways. It, I guess, I guess uh, it's more important to have a, a deeper sleep and, and uh, be able to enjoy powerful eyesight and, and the health that comes from, from deep sleep at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think they look cool. I think they look, <laughs> you know, fashionable. <laughs> we'll make health cool again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. There are definitely some versions that are that are cooler than others for sure. And I recommend anyone who doesn't have a pair. I, I wish I had a uh, some sort of discount code to give you, but not at the moment. I'm sure you can find one online. Hey, Casey here with a brief interlude. I was inspired by this convo to partner with a blue light blocking company, Bond Charge. They seem to be the best blue light blocking glasses company out there. There's a link down below. Use the coupon code CASE, save 15% off. You might be able to find a better coupon, bigger discount somewhere, but these are really important, better than sunglasses, especially if you're using technology, if you're looking at screens at night, 
the blue blockers will save your eye health, as Jessica outlines. That's all. Back to the show. There's a reason why all these very uh, popular and intelligent people are wearing these things. It, it's it's because they're really they're really useful. They're very valuable, and and it's definitely worth worth doing. Do you have any other from a from a habit perspective, whether it's in the morning or at night, do you have any other habits that that are important for keeping your energy levels high and your health in good state? <laughs> um, the one that I have been most diligent about recently is turning my phone on airplane mode when I go to sleep and making sure that I never charge it right next to my head because I got an EMF detector. And I started testing everything. I went around my whole house and I tested everything. And the cords put out a lot more radiation than I thought. So I've been trying to keep my distance from those. But um, what I've been doing recently is turning my phone on airplane mode and just leaving the Wi-Fi on when I'm home. And I think that's pretty important and like minimizing Bluetooth. Like I never use like AirPods or anything like that. I use corded earbuds or I wear this fitness tracker but the reason i got this one is because it's the only one i could find that did not have bluetooth it lets you turn off the bluetooth so that's why i picked this one (laughs) but i think just being aware of emfs and you know trying to keep two or three feet of distance is a really good practice it's nothing to go crazy about because you know they're everywhere and there's nothing we can do about it but i think it's beneficial to be aware of it i agree it is an an intelligent investment to make in 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 your your attention and your awareness to just not be using bluetooth or having your phone against your head as as often as as possible just in case you know because there's certainly some solid science saying that this may potentially be mutagenic and, and this radiation is something we really want to limit because we're all exposed to it at a higher degree thanks to 5g and, and all the great wonderful things that that gives us it, there's also some some downsides pretty much everything you know ha- comes with pros and cons so it helps to be be aware of those things you're, you're on the, like a pretty next level for with all, with all this stuff but is it is it um, are your friends or in, in your peers on the, on a similar wavelength or do you feel a little bit like an, an outcast when you try and talk about these things? Like, what's it like talking to talking to other people about it? Um, the people that I go to school with definitely are not in this frame of mind. Sometimes I, you know, they talk about ice baths and Wim Hof. So they're like kind of getting there. <laughs> but um, like one time I was talking to some friends about like breathing through your nose and how that can shape your jaw. And they just had no idea what I was talking about. And I kind of felt like that was reaching the mainstream a little bit, but I guess not. (laughs) But um, my family is very much into this stuff. um, And my boyfriend is as well. And then I love the community on Twitter where I can just chat with all of these people who are into the same thing as I am. And that's why I got onto Twitter is because I wanted to be more around people who were into this stuff because, you know, my friends kind of weren't. So um, getting into Twitter and meeting so many great people online has shown me that, you know, there's a lot of people who are interested in this and they're doing really good research as well, you know? Absolutely. I've had a similar experience. There is this community aspect of knowing, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not like an alone crazy person who's 
who's like <laughs> trying to mitigate the, you know, I, who wants to enjoy a high level of health. It doesn't seem, it seems crazy to me to not be into this kind of stuff, but you know, it's, that's, I think guess that's, guess that's what's beautiful about life and, and humanity is we're all sort of into different things. We have different interests and passions and I see a lot of what we're into as well is, is, is kind of cutting edge in a way where it's, it's going to be really popular man, and mainstream generations down the line who knows how soon that will happen hopefully sooner rather than later because some of these the downstream consequences of some of the health effects are are wrecking havoc on on our nation and our world but the sooner we can sort of have conversations like this and figure out ways to present it in compelling ways to people i think that's that's the key to to make these practices more mainstream and more popular is just it's almost a a marketing angle of like okay the science is, is settled it's a little bit technical talking about it, people's eyes maybe glaze over a little bit, but it's like, how do we market it? How can we be like the Wim Hof of, of red light glasses? Right? You know, like that's, that's going to be really important. I think for, for the next 10, 20 years of, of humanity to sort of adopt these, these things. Yeah, I agree. And it just seems like, you know, everyone that's in academia right now is kind of just a decade behind or so with like the knowledge, but like just being around everyone, I can tell like they want to know, you know, people care about their health. And some of these ideas might seem a little fringe or niche, but they do have an impact. And it's kind of like, once you start implementing these things, and you feel the difference, now you're like, okay, like, I shouldn't have just glazed over this, like this means something, this is doing something, you know? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, that's, that's really well said and, and so true in my experience as well. I know for me personally that a big a big part of my life within that realm that resonates with me is something like multi-day fasting where that has been so big for me. Not consuming any calories for three to five days has been absolutely life-changing. I've been doing it seasonally for the past three years now and, and trying to share that is also you know, most people are incredulous to think, oh, I could never not eat for three days. That would be, or that would be horribly unhealthy. Like I would shrivel away or I would be really angry. But what I've been trying to communicate is like, well, these are some of the, this is some of the best I've ever felt as in like a three day, five day fast. And I know it's not for everyone, but it could really help a lot of people. And, and it's in a similar vein where there are these, there are these practices that certainly do seem fringe and niche, like you said, but they are just so powerful and they're so accessible and oftentimes free and and or near free and it's just it's so amazing that we have the opportunity to to learn and share these these amazing opportunities for other people because it's completely life-changing once you get them dialed in yeah i totally agree totally agree with that i think it's definitely worthwhile when people start implementing this stuff and it only takes one thing to work for you to be hooked and you to be interested moving forward (laughs) Yes, just one one little change can really be the entire your entire life can can fall for from one one small habit, one small choice to change, and all of a sudden the rest of your life can open up from that. It can really be that a small pivot can can make a world of difference, and that's that's so well said. Yeah, Brad. it's it's pretty cool how just one change can just change your whole perspective. What do you think was the monumental change for you? that brought you into this whole health sphere? The biggest thing for me was, was actually going for long walks. And uh, it was very, very easy to do. I could just go outside like 
I'd always enjoyed sort of hiking, but I didn't realize that you can just kind of walk out your door and be hiking in a way, right? <laughs> you can just your neighbor, you can hike around your neighborhood, and there's I'll, I'll go on for for long walks and discover new like parts of my neighborhood that I just never noticed, like a beautiful tree that I had just never seen before, and you can stop and, and really enjoy the the bark of that tree or the way that the the limbs sort of arc through the sky or the way that the roots sort of come up and back down and wrap all around the ground. And then I would listen to audiobooks. So I'd go for long walks and listen to audiobooks. Gone through like a thousand at this point, but I'd learned so much because the act of movement in conjunction with learning amplifies the learning. And it's not something that we often get a chance to do because we're usually when we're learning, we're sort of like stuck stationary and, and the movement helps the mind work. So the movement of the body helps the movement of the mind. So I was better able to integrate everything that I was learning. And I would just follow my own curiosity, sort of the way that I started this conversation, talking about how I hated the school system and wanted to just like learn things that I was interested in. It was really this whole sphere of holistic health. Like there was never really an opportunity to major in holistic health that I was aware of back at the time. And now um, just that curiosity. So following, following the curiosity. So I think for anyone learning who wants to get started, just where are you curious? You know, follow that. Let, let that be let that be a source of energy because it is a powerful energy. You're following it to pursue your your passion in science. And um, I think anyone should should emulate that as well because it's a really powerful force. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you should always follow your passion or do everything you can to find it because I think that can be a real changer just in mood and everything and your whole outlook on life when you feel passionate about something and you're driving towards it every day and working toward a goal, you know, your whole outlook can change. And I think that might be why we see so much depression and anxiety and issues like that is because people don't feel that passionate uh, about anything um, or they don't know their path. I agree 100%. And this is sparking a curiosity in me is where if you think about everything that you've learned, what are some of the what are some of the question marks? What are some of your curiosities as someone who is deeply immersed in the science and the knowledge of, of a lot of what, what we know of the body? What what, do you, what are some of the most intriguing question marks that you have in your mind? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> I make lists every week about all the things that, all the questions that I have and all the things I want to research. I have this whole note of all these things that I have to look up, but I just don't have the time. Um, what I've always been super curious about, especially recently is, you know, it's said that we only need sunlight for like vitamin D, but it seems like it's just so much more than that. You know, our skin is meant to pick up the sun's rays. So there has to be like this major process that's unfolding. And I know that, you know, the sunlight, the specific frequencies that come in, ignite different processes. So I'm really just curious about how they all work together. And I don't think that picture has been fully elucidated yet, but I think, you know, hopefully it will be soon. It seems like it's, from my perspective, it seems very confusing right now. And it seems like there's a lot of things overlapping um, and a lot of processes that you wouldn't think come together that actually do. Um, but that's what I'm hoping for is one day we'll be able to get a full picture on what is sunlight doing when we pick it up in our skin and how do we use it? 
That is so fascinating. I agree a hundred percent with that one. Yeah, that's it's gotta be so much more than vitamin D. I feel like that's just that's just one small node with an entire network of, of positive nutrients that we're absorbing from that from that big ball up there. Yeah. 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 I, I, Wish you, wish you, wish you the best of luck on that one, because that that would be a big deal if if uh, we could really get a, a better understanding of of all the beneficial ways in which sunshine impacts us. Yeah, I agree. It just seems so fundamental. You know, everything is just physics, and when you think about it, you know, physics is just electrons. And like I've learned that light is capable of changing the conformation of molecules. And certain molecules are, they can rotate light. And it's like, I don't really know what that means, but it definitely sounds like there's something to that. Like, um, for example, in organic chemistry, you learn that molecules can rotate light, but then they don't say anything else about that. Like, okay, they rotate light, but what does that mean? So that's something that I'm super interested in following because it's, it's all quantum. You know, it all comes down to the electron and the spin. And I think light has to be affecting us on that level. And that's probably why we see so many diseases is because we've replaced our sun with artificial light. Yeah, that is certainly a much bigger causative factor of modern disease than is given credit for. Just the missing natural light from from the sun, the nutritive life-supporting, life-giving sunshine for the potentially carcinogenic in a way, technological light that that that, that trade-off has done, has really done a number on us the past few decades. And anyone that can do, you know, some work on that, share, share as much as we can about that, I think is, I've seen more and more about that um, recently. That's really picking up steam and becoming a bigger movement. And I hope it does. I hope it continues because it's really powerful. Yep. I definitely agree on that point. <laughs> Do you have any other any other big curiosities that are burning burning in your soul that you want to get sorted out that are coming to mind, or is it just too many, too many to talk about? There's so many. It's overwhelming. It's crazy because I have all of these responsibilities and homework to do and tests to study for, and it's constantly pulling my attention away from these things that I just want to spend all day researching, and it's. I just want to read all the papers, you know, and I want to take notes on all of them and just have this whole database of information. I don't know. That stuff is so cool to me, but school is definitely getting in the way. (laughs) But luckily, I'm almost out of it. Um, Another big thing for me right now that is just a big question mark, I think, for everyone is just, you know, how food affects our genes and how these environmental toxins affect our genes as well. And they're all capable of changing, you know, our epigenome and how our genes are regulated and expressed. And it's a new field. um, And there's not a ton of information out there yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to more stuff coming out and putting all the pieces together because it seems like the information is very fragmented right now. And we don't really know how everything is changing on a large scale. Like we can do tests in a petri dish but a petri dish is just that you know it's not a whole system really smart and true yeah that so much of our scientific understanding is based on sort of a petri dish model where things are being like isolated and and broken off from like 
vitamins are a perfect example, something like vitamin A that you could buy like a synthesized ver version of, of vitamin A as opposed to what you might find in a B flavor is a completely different like fractured version of the actual vitamin system. That's this entire complex with thousands of different little networks and nodes within it versus something that might be like synthesized and put in a Flintstone car, you know, cartoon candy. that's like a, you know, a vitamin that someone might eat. It's not the same at all. And, and then the sunlight, another point on that and the epigenome, like you mentioned with healthy food, I think a lot of the problem with these and maybe have some more insight is, is that there's not much money to sort of fund the science behind it, where it's because the sunshine's free, like no one's going to really profit off of funding a bunch of science as to the benefits of sunshine or, or whole, you know, healthy food. Like I guess a farm, bunch of farmers could get together and be like, Hey, <laughs> you know, fund, fund this research. But that's, that's the biggest bummer too, is like a lot of the science that gets funded and maybe you know more about this, but it, it does seem like it's mostly on things like drugs or, or there's going to be some sort of return on investment in, in the, the funding of, of the science. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a little shady what they're doing over there. I'm not a fan of it. Um, you know, they'll only fund what they want to fund. And um, it's also really hard to get grants to do research. If, you know, you're just doing academia, you're just researching in general. Um, it, can, it can also get very territorial with the people doing the research. Sometimes, you know, you can have grants shot down because of the people approving them and they don't want anyone else stepping into their area of research. And I didn't even realize that that kind of stuff like politics was happening in the research arena like that um, until I started talking to someone who has a lot of experience in that realm. And it really depends on who you talk to and who you make nice with basically to get what you want. It's a lot of politics and networking, which I'm not really a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I guess, classic human nature playing out there. All the, you know, you just can't escape it. It's got, it's everywhere. Every, every part of life just is always the politicking and the tribal aspect of our primal minds just kind of playing out in, in, in some sort, some sort of fashion. Always got to deal with that. Well, Regardless of that, I have really enjoyed speaking speaking with you about everything that you are focused on. I, I think there's there's a ton of potential that you have, and, and the light that you're sharing is is really powerful. And I really am excited to see everything that you're able to to accomplish with this focus that you have in mind over, over the next few years and beyond. I think it's it's really amazing what, what you're focused on and really powerful and there's a ton of potential and I've appreciated you coming to, to share your story and your knowledge with, with me here today and on this podcast. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to share with everybody listening? I don't think so. I think I'm good. I've really appreciated being on here and chatting with you. It's been so nice. Um, I really enjoy what you're putting out there on Twitter and you know I've enjoyed listening to your other podcasts you've had some great people on um, and you have a very nice way of articulating yourself I think um, I'm very honored to have come on <laughs> appreciate that very much Jessica Genetics thank you thank you